1: Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Tuesday. Awesome show planned for you today. Uh, Last week, we had RFK Jr. on the show. This week, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy returns to the show. Uh, The surprising uh, candidate on the Republican side, who, as I told uh, RFK when he was here in Nashville uh, last week, I like outsiders. I like RFK. I like Vivek. I like Trump. Everybody else, eh, miss me. So uh, it's great to have Vivek back. We'll also have Steve Kim, the Korean co seller on to talk a little sports after we talk to Vivek. Vivek, uh, welcome back to the show. And uh, I- I'm going to start with something I-, I hope is lighthearted, but... I just don't want this thing between you and Eminem to turn into a Tupac and Biggie. Uh, is, is is that where we're headed? You know, I just want I just want the real Slim
2: Shady to stand up, right? Will the real Slim Shady <laughs> please stand up? Because I can't believe that he just said what he did. What I think he did, you know. So that's the reality. Because Eminem, he's funny. I still like the guy, but he was the insurgent man. He was the guy who stood up to the establishment when the FCC said, you know, let me be me. That was him, right? And now you, this is the guy who's saying that if somebody disagrees with my newfound political views, this irreverent guy who I looked up to growing up has now become part of sort of the new woke establishment. He has a different point of view on a new insurgent. But that's all right. You know, I still, ho- I still have high hopes that he's going to grow out of it and become the real Slim Shady again.
1: Well, for any of our audience that isn't aware, uh, Vivek... At a campaign event, I believe in Iowa. I think we have a clip. Vivek rapped "Lose Yourself." Uh, let's play that clip.
2: All right, I've heard
1: enough. Vivek's not a very good rapper, but oh come right, so on, you I've got the worst enough. part of that, man. You got
2: the wor- <laughs> you guys. That selective editing is just is just. Inappropriate.
1: <laughs> um, All right. What, oh, I and, and so, what I will say is this: is let me let me, let me frame the question. Oh, oh, yeah. Let me frame the question. Hold hold for one. So I loved this, and and I, there were people at the time. Oh, this is unpresidential. and I was like, Nah, man, we're we're well past that. I just want Vivek to be authentic, and as a guy in his mid thirties. This is pretty authentic. I would imagine in high school, whenever Vivek was young, this was a popular song. This is authentic. Eminem filing a cease and desist seems over the top and stupid. He, he turned something in. He turned nothing into something. But I guess that's the price all these celebrities have to play. They have to come out of. Oh, well, we're against Vivek. We're against anybody with an yeah. R next to their name. Now. Yeah, I think the reality is, yeah, I think the reality is we can graduate
2: from this culture, but it's going to take some people being fearless about it. All right, I think we have a culture of fear. And I actually, I'm looking at the name of your show, Fearless. I didn't even mean it that way, but I think that's the spirit we're going to need where there's this culture of fear across the country, Jason. You know this well. There's what people will say in private and what people will say in public, and there's a gap. And if you want my question on this You want to know what the best measure of the health of American democracy is? It's the percentage of people who feel free to say what they actually think in public. Right now, we're doing poorly. I think we can do better again, but it's just going to take all of us, including people like you, people like me, but people at home listening to this, all of us doing our part, standing up with a spine, and speaking our minds openly. And the fine thing is, back when I was in my 20s, part of the reason I loved heterodox figures like Eminem, is that that's what they did do. They stand up to the establishment. But at a certain point, you become part of the establishment. And even with the woke culture in America, I I will say this, I never agreed with that type of ideology, but rewind 20 years ago, there's something about anyone who wants to be heterodox and stand up to the man that I'll respect, even if I disagree with you. But the part of the problem is, what began as a challenge to the system became the new system right and so what i tell young people today is now you want to be heterodox you want to be countercultural you want to be a hippie you want to stick it and stand up to the man try calling yourself a conservative <laughs> try saying you want to marry somebody of the opposite sex and have children and stay married and raise them and follow your faith in god and that you like the united states of america and you pledge allegiance to the flag that is the new counterculture in the united states of america And I know that might sound funny in one breath, but in another breath, it's actually true. And I think that is what the new insurgency of this country looks like. And that's my job as the youngest person ever to run for US president in our party. I want to make faith and family and hard work and patriotism cool again, actually, because I think they are inherently cool. But not in some wrapper of, hey, we have to bring back and go back to the past. No, no, no. This is where we're going, right? We're running to something. We're not just running from something. This is where we're headed. And you want to call me a progressive for that? I'm fine with that. If we're making progress towards an actual positive vision, great. Count me in. I am making progress and leading our conservative movement to be the party of progress towards something. And I think that that's part of what's allowed us to be so successful so far in this race, but we're just getting warmed up. I think that's what's gonna allow us to succeed in reviving this nation between now and when I leave office in January 2033 after two terms, that's how we're actually gonna do it.
1: Vivek, you're probably the only, uh, you're certainly the only presidential candidate that I feel like I can have an informed discussion about this next part of this Eminem thing that I'm gonna bring up. And and so I don't know if this conversation will help advance your political aspirations, but you're a smart guy, you like rap, you can rap all of Eminem's song, one of his most popular songs. So I I have to ask you this. When I'm looking at this, when, when I looked at this, when he did the cease and desist and thought about it this morning, to me, it spoke to me like, Man, rap music is dead. Is rap music used to be the form of art and music that was anti-establishment and rebellious. You may not remember this, but like when Bill Clinton was running for office, there was a rapper, Sister Soldier, that mm-hmm. rapped some things. And, and, and rap used to drive a lot of the political discussion. Now it's dead, and I had this, I had this thought this morning, I was like, and it's these country music guys. It's mm-hmm. Oliver Anthony that's actually driving discussion and saying anti establishment things. And, and it disappoints me like, what happened to rap music? It became that materialistic that there'll never be another Chuck D. There'll never be what Eminem or any of these guys used to be.
2: So Oliver Anthony's like the new Eminem. I mean, that's the reality, right? <laughs> You stand up to a new establishment and it's, it's, and you know, so, so there's, there's a disappointing side to that, Jason, but there's also a heartening side to that. You know what? That's cool. That's just the way it looks, right? Because back in the nineties, what you would say is, oh, I'm disappointed with the music establishment that has just decided they want to silence anybody who's defecting from the orthodoxy. And there comes Eminem and he breaks right through saying in his choice words, which I'm not going to repeat, you know, screw you guys. I'm going to do this anyway, my way. And you're not going to shut me up. And you know what? You're going to do it till I collapse, which happened to be one of his better songs. And so, you know what? That cycle repeats itself. And so it's not that Marshall Mathers, the third is the same individual he was. It's the symbol of what the OG version of it actually was. That's now being channeled in the form of the next generation. Even if that's not him, that's, what's more important. So it's not a personal thing. It's a question of, How do you actually stand up to the prevailing system? Creative destruction. In some ways that's so American right? That is the American quality. Think about our founding fathers, right? These guys were the pioneers. They were the explorers, the daring, the people who said, no, 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 you are not going to stop me from doing whatever I feel like doing because I'm a free man. And it's not going to be some autocrat sitting across on some throne halfway across the world or an ocean that tells me how I live my life. And today, if that's a three letter government agency, then so be it the same way. You know, the funny story is like, so I'm sitting on a swivel chair right now. Okay. Funny story about the swivel chair. Thomas Jefferson invented it. He invented it while he was writing the Declaration of Independence. People say, I'm too young to be president, I'm 38. He was 33 when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. Notebook like this one, I carry it around with me too, but he's writing the Declaration of Independence and decides that ah, that the still chair's cramping his style. He says, I feel like I need to move, he thinks about it. He just invents the swivel chair. What do we say today? You say, no, 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 you can't do that. You're not an expert. You didn't go to four-year college training to be an engineer. You can't do that. You didn't file a patent on it. That's the world we live in today. Whereas you think about the actual spirit of this country. No, he, Thomas Jefferson was the real Slim Shady in a certain sense, in the spirit of saying that, you know what? I'm going to declare independence from this foreign autocrat. And if I feel like inventing the swivel chair, darn right, I'm going to do it. And Benjamin Franklin, you want to co-sign this thing? And Benjamin Franklin's like, yeah, you know what? I also invented the bifocal spectacles and the Franklin stove. And yeah, the common cold, it kind of sucks. And so here's a remedy I made for it. But are you a doctor? Are you Dr. Fauci approved? No, we we don't have that conversation back in 1776. And so what am I doing right now? I'm bringing back 1776 in this country. Whatever was in the water then, we're putting that in the water now, and we're going to we're about to we're about to gulp that down in the United States of America. Take a swig, have at it and say that you know what? Nobody's going to stop me from speaking the truth, doing it without apology, stopping at no frontier. The United States of America is the nation of pioneers. That's who we are. That's so why I liked Eminem version 1.0. But if Marshall Mathers doesn't like it now, that's fine. Let's move on to the next guy. That's part of what the actual model of the phoenix in this country looks like.
1: I, I'm I'm not raising this up because you've taken me in a different direction. So I'm I'm not raising this up as a gotcha. But I, I I do want to give you the opportunity to respond to people as like they've dug up a clip of you. I think at eight when you were 18, and you asked. Uh, Al Sharpton, if, yep. if hey, you're too inexperienced, uh, why should I vote for you or something along those lines? We, we had the clip, but I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to play it. I just want to hear you. Is What's happened over the course of the last 20 years where maybe you've adjusted your opinion on that or times have changed and, and you would have a totally different take than you had back then? Yes, yeah, so I was a freshman at Harvard, 18
2: years old. And one of the things that you're, you know, you're in those environments, they're very structured, right? There's certain things that you're allowed to say, certain ways you're supposed to think. And so here's a guy who I thought was kind of interesting. They brought every presidential candidate, John Kerry, and then John Edwards, and then the next guy, or these professional practiced politicians. And, you know, say what you will about Al Sharpton. And, you know, I don't agree with most of what comes out of that man's mouth for sure, but he wasn't that, right? He was a reverend. He was a reverend who was irreverent, it seemed to me. And so I said, hey, well, like I'm sitting here at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard College as a freshman who's gone through every step coming in. So I said, well, why should you be the next president if you don't have experience in politics? And honestly, it might be the most sensible thing that I've heard Al Sharpton say, (laughs) which is just because somebody has a job at the Cambridge bureaucracy down the street doesn't mean they have experience. Right. I have experience talking to people, knowing people in this country. And I remember thinking at 18, I was like, huh, guy has a point, (laughs) you know, he's not right about most things. But there was some element of of truth in that to say that why not John Edwards or John Kerry? Well, it doesn't mean Al Sharpton's the right guy, but he said just because those guys are stuffed suits coming from an existing establishment that doesn't qualify them to be the next president. And then I listened, Jason, to some of those other people on the debate stage last week saying, well, we don't want a rookie. We need somebody who has experience, a steady hand, the same people that lied to us about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and engineered the 2008 bailouts after the financial crisis and fed us the Trump-Russia collusion hoax. Yes, those are the people that have the experience that we need to put back in charge to do it again. I think the way I look at it now is... 20 years in, I mean, the generation I grew up into was a government that has repeatedly lied to the people from everything from COVID-19's origin to the Hunter Biden laptop to now we're spending our money in Ukraine. If somebody keeps crashing your car, maybe it's time not to turn over the keys to the same set of people. Maybe it's time for a new generation to drive the key and take the key and drive the car in a direction of actually running to something, to an actual vision for what this country stands for. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And and you know what, my, part of what got me to where I am is the journey and set of experiences that I've had outside of government. And I think that's what's gonna make me the most successful person in this field to actually run that executive branch of the government as the next president.
1: All right, the other question I wanted to bounce off the M&M conversation, because Man, you are fearless, and you're saying some things. And you just said that it's proof of how free the society is. People comfortable, and and you said something this week or last week that I started saying fifteen, seventeen years ago. I said it a little different than you, but I took a lot of heat. I started talking about there's a black KKK, and you did. I, I was referencing. I know that. Oh yeah, this is, oh, I took a lot of heat for it. 15, 17 years ago, punch it into Google. It, it, Jason Whitlock and Black KK, punch it into Google. Bunch of stuff will come up. People very irate with me. And I was basically, t- and again, I, different than you, but my point was like, hold on man, uh, we're not getting lynched anymore in our communities. Bloods, yep. Crips, vi- vice lords, gangsters. That, that's who's terrorizing our communities. It's and so and, and, and then I started pointing out, like, who's who believes in all of these racist things that end up hurting black people? It's a lot of the black leftists. It's the Al Sharptons, and these guys. They have all the mentality. They believe in the one drop rule. You got one drop of black blood, you're black. And so Barack Obama, even though you're raised by white people, even though you never knew your black father, you get to parade around and tell everybody I'm just black. And that whole group said, you know what? You don't have to mention the white people that raised you. You don't have to mention your white mother. You got one drop of black blood. That's the mentality of a racist in the 1700s and 1800s. The left has adopted everything that racists from the 1800s believe The black and that's why I call them the black KKK. I've been doing it for years. You said it and are taking heat for it. But I don't back down, man. I I love that type of honesty and authenticity. I appreciate that,
2: man. And I've also been pretty clear since day one of this campaign. And, you know, when I I said this, when I was polling at zero point zero percent, it was easier to say then than it is now. But I still stand by it. I would rather speak truth at every step and lose this election than to play some political snakes and ladders that somehow maps out a path to victory. That's fake. I don't want to do it. I I think that this is going to be the winning political strategy. Everything so far suggests that this is what the people want. But by the end of this race, people are going to know who I am and what I stand for. And if after knowing all of that, they want to go with somebody else, I am totally at peace with that. That's the way the system should work. Now, the problem in our system is we have a distortion machine, right, that will especially for a guy, I sure, I don't even know what it's going to be, but I can tell you the ones that get me in the most trouble are these free form, long form podcasts, right? Where we're able to have like a little bit of a longer conversation. You and I are talking to each other, not like automatons, but as actual human beings. Those are the ones that, oh man, some, some opposition researcher sitting in some other full-time job at some super PAC for some candidate is going to be troving through this Podcast we just did, and is gonna you just mark my words on it. It's gonna happen. There's gonna be some short-lived outrage, fake outrage scandal coming out of this interview we just had. It's the long form podcasts that are the one that get me into trouble. I'm still doing them, right? Because we're having an authentic conversation as actual human beings speaking to each other outside of some scripted context. But that gives you a taste of how I'm gonna run the country with honesty. Okay, it's not going to be reading from some teleprompter. It's going to be speaking from my heart. That's what I'm doing in this campaign. I think that's what the people deserve out of their government. We have a government that has systematically lied about really every matter of major public importance for the last 15 to 25 years in this country. I grew up into it, right? A government that has lied from everything about weapons of mass destruction to the 08 crisis, to the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, to the Hunter Biden laptop, to the origin of COVID to what we knew about vaccines before pushing them out to the Nashville shooter manifesto. I mean, it's just day by day, how our money's now being spent in Ukraine. We can handle the truth. And that's part of why I think the establishment, frankly, in both parties is having an anaphylactic immune response to my presence in this race. You saw it on that debate stage. You're seeing it now in the days thereafter. And yet that's exactly why I've got to keep doing it the way that I am, because that is what is going to restore public trust is speaking honestly, not when it's easy, but when it's hard. My view is you don't have to agree with 100 percent of what I say to support me. Agree with most of what I say. Fine. Don't agree with 100 percent of it. Agree with most of it. But if you know that I'm telling you what I believe 100 percent of the time, that's what we need out of an actual leader in this country. And. You know what? Maybe that's the winning political strategy. I think it will be, and I'll be the next president for eight years. But if I'm not, that's still the only way I know how to do it, and that's how I'm going to keep it.
1: And so I, I think it's very important what you're doing. You're, you're. It's like Trump opened a lane for authenticity, and I'm looking yeah. at you like exploit that lane and widen it. And I think it's yeah. very important. And and here, here's another. I mean, you're someone. You're the most. Easily relatable. And obviously you got you talk better than any of these other candidates. So I just feel comfortable asking you anything. Uh, I offered up the theory that yesterday when I'm looking at Joe Biden and the left try to exploit the shooting in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. I think it's born and then they play the white supremacy card. And, and, and again, I think it's born out of people are sort of like, hey, uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden are losing their black support. There are black people now talking about supporting the Republican Party. I'm arguing I don't think that's their real fear. I, I, I think the the black vote's important to them, but the black vote isn't as important to them as painting the Republican Party as racist as a tool to stop white people who don't want the burden of being called a racist I think that's why a nice segment of white people pull that Democratic lever it's like a insurance policy they take out you can't call me racist yep. I'm a Democrat And that, they want to, they're fearful that that stigma around Republicans, by that you're removing, that Trump's presidency removed, they're scared to death of that because if they lose that stigma, not only their hold on black voters will loosen, but their hold on a lot of white voters will also loosen. I think that's right. And I also think that there's some of these are people who are almost convincing
2: themselves. Right. It's not even just convincing other people. It's duping themselves into thinking they're one of the good guys when, in fact, their policies are hurting many of the very people they're supposedly helping. And so one of the things I hope to do in reuniting this country is to lay that bare school choice, educational mobility. That is the actual civil rights issue of our time. So it's easy to rail about math being racist. It's a lot harder to figure out how we're going to teach every kid in this country, black, white, brown, or anything in between, how to actually be proficient in reading and math. And I think that's where my focus is, Jason, is the more we're talking about substance, the more we're actually going to be able to build, I think, an electoral landslide majority. Even just look at the places I'm going in this campaign. I've gone to the south side of Chicago. I've gone to Kensington in the inner city of Philadelphia. We've been to the west coast. These are places where traditional consultants would say, you're a fool to spend time during the Republican primary campaign trail. And time will tell. Maybe I was, but I don't think so. I think what I'm demonstrating is that we're leaving no state left behind. We're leaving no city behind. We're leaving no American behind. America first means all Americans first. So no, I'm not talking to the Pied Piper in cargo pants known as Zelensky but I am talking to families in Maui who are fellow Americans that have been devastatingly left behind from Maui to the South side of Chicago. Let's stand for all Americans. And I see an opportunity to honestly deliver for this country a revival like what Reagan did in 1980. That's what's hiding in plain sight in this 2024 election. If we have the courage and the vision to stand up and actually seize it. And so I do think this has to be something other than a 50.1 narrow electoral margin. I don't think we have it in us. We're skating on thin ice as a country right now. I think I'm the only candidate who can actually deliver that multi-ethnic working class majority that wins in a landslide, taking no state or city as off limits to the contrary, to say that we as human beings are prone to persuasion. We're not just animals. We can be persuaded of things. Yes, that's my job. That's how I'm gonna lead this campaign and that's how I'm gonna lead this country. And I appreciate conversations like this one, even though they're gonna get me in trouble for something coming out of this conversation. That's actually what it's gonna take. If if I'm gonna be the person sitting across the table from Xi Jinping, we better be willing to sit across the table from every American in this campaign too.
1: The other substantive issue that you keep hammering and you're in a little spat with RFK Jr. about it, and I totally stand with you, is we need to be looking for ways to incentivize and reward nuclear families. Could you break what's going on? I don't understand how RFK has a problem with anything you've suggested. Well,
2: I think the reality is he's running in a democratic primary against Joe Biden. And so he might be experimenting with some tactics to be able to say, oh no, I'm still with you guys because I need to win the primary. I just wish him, I love the guy. Actually, I don't agree with a lot of what he says on climate or affirmative action. I think it's off the reservation at times, but I like that he's heterodox and a renegade. And, you know, I think that part of partisan politics is, you know, I don't want to see him turn into another Joe Biden or Joe Biden to rub off on him. I'm going to give him a pass on this one. Maybe it happened a little bit, but I understand that it's hard to go through a race like this, with, especially within a stifling party like the Democrat Party. But, you know, I hope he uses it as a learning experience to say that he's never going to win by pretending to be one of them because they're, his best chance is going to be the best version of himself. And so the fact of the matter is, you know, I think he took a standard page out of the Democrat playbook, made up something I said about like taxing single parents more than married parents. That's not what I said. I said, we need to stop aid programs that incentivize single mothers by paying them more when they don't have a man in the house than when they do have a man in the house who doesn't earn as much money as the federal aid would have. Right, they're marrying Uncle Sam instead of marrying the man who should have been the father, who was the father of their children and should have been a father in the house. So that means I don't blame individual mothers who are responding to economic incentives created for them by the federal government. I blame the federal government that created those toxic incentives and I'd say this as somebody who I didn't grow up in money, by the way, right? My parents came to this money with no money in their pocket, but I did have the ultimate privilege. I had a head start. It was two parents in the house with a focus on education and instilling in us and a faith in God. Does that mean that somebody can't succeed in this country if they grew up in a single parent household? Of course not. To the contrary, everybody has to look at using the strengths and gifts they're given. And you know, would FDR have been as great of a president if he didn't have polio? No, actually, I think that that was part of a hardship that pulled the best out of him. But does that mean we wish polio on everybody else? No, it doesn't either. And so, look, I think we're all going to be dealt our hardships. Hardship isn't the same as victimhood. Sometimes hardship can be what teaches us who we are. But if we're drawing up the, the plan from a clean slate, I certainly would wish for more, country, more kids in this country to be able to grow up in stable two-parent households. And I think the federal government should stop incentivizing the opposite. And I think in his heart of heart, RFK probably agrees with that. Probably some political consultant gave him some bad advice and he's in some experiment where he's paying attention to what they tell him to say. I'd say, man, get out of that experiment. Go back to speaking your own mind. And I think that's why he's going to be most successful, where he's going to be at his best if he goes back to doing that.
1: Vivek, we'll end on this note, a lighter note. Uh, I want you to respond to, you got a bellwether endorsement uh, this week. I'm not sure if you're aware, but OJ Simpson has endorsed your candidacy. Uh, Go ahead and take a victory lap. You
2: know, what I will say is, if I got Eminem and OJ both coming out and talking about me the same week, somehow it was like a throwback to the 90s for me. I feel like I was in middle school for a hot second yesterday (laughs) in between OJ and Eminem. But you know, the way I look at it is, we can be, from whoever you are, whatever your skin color is, whatever your background is, however long your last name is, okay? You still get ahead in this country with your own hard work and commitment and dedication. There are still certain ideals that unite all of us. I think they still exist and I'm gonna do my part and revive them. That includes every American, no matter how flawed, we're all flawed in our own ways, but no matter how flawed, the thing that unites us is still, it's not just the red, white, and blue and the flag on a cloth. It's what that symbolizes. E pluribus unum, from many, one. And any American who wants to come along for that ride, I would say we're on the same team. That's what I'll say.
1: Thank you, Vivek. Keep keep chopping wood. Keep being controversial. Keep being outspoken. I don't know if you know this, if Kathy Barnett told you this, but I sent my nephew to St. X. Uh, and so I, I've got a great connection me? to St. X. Yeah, oh, it's really? one of his greatest experiences of his life. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of the greatest great experiences school.
2: of my life, too. I'm on the board. I'm on hiatus from the board. It's a great school. It, it helped make me who I am. Actually, had a huge imprint on my life. I don't know. I'll I'll tell Kathy. I didn't I didn't know you had, you had talked to Kathy recently, but I'll uh, I'll tell her what we caught up too. It's good.
1: Thank you, Vivek. Great job Thank as you, always. Appreciate you. Appreciate it. All right, uh, guys. If you want to see more content like we just saw from Vivek, like we saw last week uh, from RFK Jr. You gotta support our sponsors, and one of our greatest sponsors is Patriot Mobile. Every day we hear about another familiar brand selling out their customers and going woke. Americans are sick and tired of having leftist propaganda jammed into every product they consume. Woke mobile companies are no different. For years they've been dumping millions into liberal causes and we had to take it back because you need a cell phone and probably thought there was no alternative. I've got news for you, there is, and I want you to make the switch today. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless provider offering dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks, so you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to in your area, minus the leftist propaganda. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're sending a message that you support free speech, religious freedom, the sanctity of life, the second amendment, and our military veterans and first responders. Their 100% US-based customer service team makes switching easy. Keep your phone, keep your phone number two. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Jason or call 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Jason. Ask about their coverage guarantee while you're there. Get the same dependable service, but all the woke, without the woke politics. Make the switch today, patriotmobile.com slash Jason, or call 878-PATRIOT. I got a Patriot Mobile phone myself. I made the switch, not asking you to do anything uh, that I'm not willing to do. All right, uh, you can email me and us at fearlessblaze show at gmail.com. The other thing I want to plug here, guys, before we uh, go is our fun slinger, NFL kickoff uh, weekend or (laughs) Thursday event. Uh, The Fearless Army Cookout, you've seen our cookouts. This time we got a really, really great cast of uh, sports figures, Brett Favre, Warren Sapp, Seth Joyner, Sage Steele, all coming to Nashville to tape a live three hour show with us here, right here in Nashville at our studio. You can be a part of this show. You can come watch the show live and mingle with some football stars and sports figures watch our pregame show, and then have a watch party here with us. We're gonna feed you, we're gonna feed you some beverages. We're gonna have a good time watching the Chiefs and the Lions kick off the NFL season September 7th, right here in Nashville, Fearless Army Cookout. Anyway, I'm inviting you. Hopefully you've received an email. We've got, uh, there's a ticket tailor a website, a, a page that uh, we'll send you to that'll be linked at the bottom of our YouTube page where you can go to click up to sign up and come join us uh, in, what, nine days right here, September 7th, right here in studio, Brett Farb, Warren Sapp, Seth Joyner, Sage Steele, yours truly, Steve Kim's gonna be here, TJ Moe's gonna be here, it's gonna be great. Alright, the Korean coast cell It's hate discrimination hands for
3: freedom.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
1: Uh, Time for some Korean Cosell, Steve Kim, uh, joining us from Los Angeles. Talk a little sports, talk a little Jim Harbaugh. Uh, We'll also talk a little Tony Romo. And then Steve turned me on to a documentary, B.S. High, on HBO, (laughs) that we definitely got to talk about. So uh, sit back, kick back, Whitlock and Cosell about to uh, get into it. Steve, I want to play you. Uh, a couple of videos, uh, and are you a, you're a Jim Harbaugh fan? You're a big Jim Harbaugh supporter, correct?
3: I, I am Team Khaki. I, I strike back against the days of a uh, a uh, Brady Hoke. I, I mean, it, look, if you want Michigan and those fine helmets to win, you know, eight or nine games a year, I guess, and always lose to Ohio State, you know, but I'd rather not. I think it's a fine program. Uh, those who stay will be champions. And those who stay with Jim Harbaugh will be champions eventually. Anyway, yeah.
1: Okay, so uh, here's Jim Harbaugh uh, yesterday talking about the NCAA being outdated and there needs to be dramatic change and they need to do rever- the revenue sharing with the players. Let's play that clip. I
0: continue to advocate for that today. A system of revenue sharing with the students, student-athletes. I'm aware and understand that when someone speaks out in defense of those without a voice, attempts are made to diminish the individual's character and credibility. As a former player and current coach, mentoring many of these student-athletes, what I wanted to do is be a voice for the student-athletes. I want them to be treated with the respect and the dignity that they deserve. What I don't understand is how the NCAA, television networks, conferences, universities, and coaches can continue to pull in millions, and in some cases, billions, of dollars in revenue off the efforts of college student athletes across the country without providing enough opportunity to share in the ever-increasing revenues. When when student-athletes call it a game, the corporate types call it a business. When the student-athletes call it a business, the corporate types call it a game. I am aware that Notre Dame Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick said, and I quote, I think the decision-making lost its way in terms of the focus on the student-athlete and what's primarily best for them but we are where we are. We have to try to make it work, and we do. We have to try to make it work. We have to try to make it better, and right now, the current status quo is unacceptable and won't survive.
1: Mm. Uh, Jim Harbaugh on the recruiting trail, everything that came out of his mouth just there is all about recruiting. These guys know with name, image, and likeness. These guys are getting paid and, and revenue share. <sighs> Give me a break. He's trying. <sighs> this is my. And again, I think Jim Harbaugh's a good coach. I think he- he's pro life. Get- but man, he does some woke stuff, and this sounds woke to me.
3: Uh-huh. Excuse me. You meant to say Jim Harbaugh's an elite coach. Okay, so going from there. Points for quoting. A great line from North Dallas 40, from John Matuzek right there. But, yes, there's no doubt. I don't know if he's going woke, but he's trying to martyr himself. And there is some deflection because the, the NCAA tried to punish him, and then eventually Michigan said, okay, we have three cupcakes. Steve Kim can coach them to victory. You're out for three games. You'll come back in late September. But there's no doubt he's trying to give the message that, hey, Michigan, under Captain Khakis, is a player-friendly program, and I want you to get paid. But I tell you what's interesting, Jason, and the timing of this is incredible. Last night, I happened to catch the last 10 minutes of an interview on FS1 with Joel Klatt, good friend of the show, and a great guest recently, and Deion Sanders. Coach Prime said something that really surprised me, because they talked about the issue of NIL and player payment. You know what he said? He said, I have no problem with NIL. If you are the type of player that has the profile, you deserve NIL. Because that's what it really was. It was about the Reggie Bush or the Chris Webber, where everyone was buying their specific paraphernalia with their number. They should get a piece. He said, the problem is, nowadays, all these players are just getting paid to come to the school without earning anything. And he actually said, believe it or not, it's the bag before they even play. The bag is not even learned. And he said, you know, let's be honest about the NIL. There's less than five players in the country that are even in commercials. And we have two of them, Travis Hunter and my son, Shador. And I guess the other one would be Caleb Williams out here in L.A. because I've actually seen commercials with him. But they've turned that whole thing around now. And this is where I, I was really surprised that Dion said this. He said, you know what? These kids come to schools now just about the bag. They don't ask about the defense, the coaching, the academics. They don't even care about their degrees because they're going to need that. And so when Deion Sanders is the voice of reason saying, wait a minute, guys, just don't go for the highest NIL package because this can be a real issue when you're age 25 and you need some alumni support and you've gone to three or four schools, there's an issue here. So I, I do find this fascinating, but Jim Harbaugh, again, like you said, he's trying to recruit. Oh, I, I,
1: I, I got to now deal with your Deion point, Cosell. Listen, mm-hmm. I like Dion, and, and Dion, to the best of his ability, tries to be a force for good, to the best of his ability. And, and, but he's a supremely talented athlete for most of his life, and I, I think that skews his worldview and limits his perspective. And, and again limits his self-awareness and again I like Dion he's attempting to be a force for good the guy did a rap song called must be the money oh, the God. guy everything about Dion Sanders was always about the bag and he's sitting there yeah these players all they care about is the bag where did they learn it from Dion
3: I, look look where I, I, I'm okay. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on. I know, I know. Q Alanis ironic. A thousand spoons when all you need is a knife. I get it. That album came out in 1995. Are we not allowed to change and evolve and have a different He hasn't
1: role? changed.
3: Well, okay. Steve, I, I Steve,
1: he hasn't changed. Let me tell you what you do when you change. When you change. What? Speaking to a guy that used to uh, love a strip club two, three yeah. nights a week. And do you hear me? I've changed and, and been like, nah, I don't do that, I'm blah, blah. I know what I used to do, but here's what I think now. I've never heard Deion say anything like that. Deion Sanders has always been about the bag. He started all of it in terms of athletes, everything about the money, auctioned himself off to different NFL teams. He's always been about the money. And now he's complaining because yeah. the kids that grew up idolizing him and come to Colorado thinking they want to be just like Dion, they have his values. I mean, let, let's let's be real here. And 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 so all these coaches, from Harbaugh to Lane Kiffin to Dion, everything that comes out of their mouth is basically a recruiting pitch. It's filled with hypocrisy. It's it's I'm sorry. Go ahead. What?
3: First of all, Dion is about his Louis bags. Let's okay, make that clear. And, and second of all, <laughs> it, it, in the immortal words of Rocky Balboa, after he upset Ivan Drago in Moscow, if I can change, you can change. We all can change. But here, here you're, I'm not disagreeing with you about the hypocritical nature of the coaches. However, the game is the game. His job is to win. And you're going to have to use the portal. You're going to have to use the NIL. You're going to have to recruit. So Dion just wants to be on a level playing field. We do not have to like the rules. But unfortunately, that is the business that he's in. But his overall point, no matter what he released in 1995, by the way, that album was not that bad for an athlete. Among athlete albums, it was probably like top 10. He had that one song. Prime time keeps ticking. I thought that was pretty decent, but he, from the guy he is now in a leadership position, he is allowed to be different than he was as an athlete.
1: You're allowed to evolve. Hey, look, when your parents are telling you don't smoke cigarettes with a cigarette hanging out of their mouth, it just doesn't land the same. That was my dad. <laughs> that was my dad. Yeah, it just. <laughs> It just doesn't land the same. And so I, I'm just sorry. It just doesn't land the same from Dion. He's dealing with the consequences of recruiting and trying to win with athletes who mimic his worldview and his behavior. It's always about the money as it relates to Dion. I, I do think as he moves on in life, has some health struggles and whatnot, he's gaining a new perspective. But I haven't heard close. We haven't heard anything close to Dion disavowing the fact that, like, he promoted this mater- hyper-materialistic, radical materialism that that Royce White talks about, and now he's dealing with the consequences, and he wants us to take uh, seriously his complaints about those consequences. I want to go back to Jim Harbaugh and and these right. and because I, I, I can't wait to hear you defend this. Uh, the guy is. It's all a recruiting pitch. It, it's, he's so woke, and that time he spent in San Francisco, and, and just, uh, he, he's just so woke. Let's play hardball talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: Why wouldn't we let the student athletes share in the success of their sport? And we all should be about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm calling for a system that is fair, equitable, and benefits all involved. Don't exclude the student athletes from the profits. In my opinion, you can't say you're about diversity, equity and inclusion if you aren't willing to include the student athletes in revenue sharing.
1: (sighs) This guy is woke, he's hit, I mean why did, Black Lives, why not just shout out Black Lives Matters and you know, I, it's hard for me man, I, I, I'm telling you. I met Jim Harbaugh when we were both in college. He, he, his, his one of his best friends from high school, Jim Wacker and I think Todd Clark, two of his buddies, played high school football where they were teammates of mine at Ball State, Harbaugh would, come down there and party at Ball State occasionally when he was the quarterback in Michigan. And, and so I have, a and, and our whole program, the Ball Ball State's football program at that time under Paul Shadell was modeled after the Michigan program because he was a longtime Bo Schembechler assistant coach. I've always liked Jim Harper. He played quarterback for the Colts, my hometown team. Not that I was a huge Colts fan, but I've always liked him. But he's insufferable now, and... I, the time he spent in San Francisco, his pandering uh, with Colin Kaepernick, and all that—he just—I'm—I'm—I'm I'm not a Harbaugh fan. Can you defend that the 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 DEI speech that he just threw in there?
3: You know, I've been given the moniker on this fine program, the Korean Cosell, and like the Jewish Cosell, the original Howard Cosell, I just call it the way it is. <laughs> It's, this, this, this is worse than his loss to TCU last year. Uh, it, it is indefensible. And I think what he's really saying, the subtext is black athletes matter. OK, I, I cannot defend this. What else can I say? Uh, I mean, I've loved Captain Comeback for a long time. But, you know, even before his time in San Francisco, remember, his other job was in Palo Alto. And Stanford, believe it or not, that bastion of academics, they've become hyper woke Uh, to a point like they're trying to be like a more expensive version of Cal Berkeley. So it's almost like that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other, you know. So, again, there's a lot of admirable things about Jim Harbaugh. But that speech, that part of that speech right up there is about as disgusting as his habit of drinking milk. With his steak. It just makes me want to vomit. Yes, I will give you that, Jason. Point taken. You're right.
1: Perfect. Uh thank you for that. Now I want to move on to something right in your wheelhouse. And so let me call do we have the quote or do I need to look it up again? Let me look it up again. Uh this is from Tony Romo. Uh you know, he was criticized last year for his broadcasting. He had been the toast of of uh everybody in broadcast he's the greatest thing since sliced bread and you know he's the next charles barkley and last year he got criticized and so tony romo in an interview said i remember reading in the comments section of the newspaper in my second year he's talking about his nfl career so there were there were people saying he throws it too low he'll never make it romo recalled so i went and tried to throw higher throw higher because some guy wrote an article or said it in the comments I mean how dumb right it's like that guy had no idea what he was talking about what's said is not always reality and so he's talking about the story that came out that they had some meeting at or retreat and the people at CBS were trying to uh, tell Romo you know step it up a little bit I think Romo is kind of notorious for maybe not putting in the level of homework other commentators do. He's kinda, in my view, has lived off an undeserved rep from his rookie year as a broadcaster when everybody went wild and he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I was never uh, in, in line with that. And so he's saying that basically uh, the criticism is just clickbait, there's an agenda, uh, I mean, that's a real thing. Clickbait. That, that's a direct quote from him. Uh, Tony Romo, did he, is he in denial about him falling back a bit as a broadcaster? Uh, has he taken a step back? Is the criticism legit?
3: Yeah, it might be, but hold on. Not only did this athlete admit that he read the media and what the press had to say, he actually read the comment section. Ugh, okay. Um, <laughs> Tony Romo is at, now at a crossroads because he no longer has that advantage of being a recently retired NFL player that knows a lot of the tendencies of the teams on the field. Things change, the game changes, it evolves, coordinators switch jobs, head coaches are no longer in play, and perhaps now, instead of like his first or second year, he actually has to do some real research. Maybe he's not willing to do that as he's on his 17th hole uh, on his way to play another 18 holes right around one o'clock it's hard work putting in 36 uh, rounds of golf or holes in a day and i get the sense that if you ask tony romo gun to head you got to be honest here would you rather be in the senior pga tour or call football the rest of your life because you can't do both really you would probably want to hit the links but in general i still enjoy when romo and i think it was jim nance would have that playful banter. I know it was not for everybody. I know it's not for you. But you know what? I kind of enjoyed it. I never came away from a game that he called and said, man, I hated what I heard. It bothered me. And I want to mute the doggone thing. I'll be honest with you. I think you're a little bit too critical of old Tony. Tony has a good time in there. Seriously.
1: Come on. I'd rather listen to Troy Aikman. Okay. I think he's... I think I I like Aikman better. Who who would? Greg Olson didn't do oh. a bad job for Fox, and I was very skeptical of him. Yes, to you didn't do a bad job for Fox. I can't say that I prefer Olson over Romo, but I do prefer Aikman a great deal over Romo. Who 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 am I who who am I missing here? Who's my other kid? Oh, Chris Collinsworth. I prefer him over oh. Romo. Look, the thing with Aikman, Aikman
3: as an analyst is exactly what he was as a player, incredibly detail oriented and prepared, okay? Um, He's going to be solid, he'll be consistent, and he'll be professional. But Tony gives kind of a lighter feel. And look, as much as I respect Troy, when he kind of backed off from his statements last year that they ought to put dresses on his guys, if he just would have said, you know what, I said what I said. I'm not taking it. Okay, then he's my number one. But when he backed off, I was like, ah, oh, Troy, 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 you threw off your back foot. You never did that on the field. So I don't know. I think you're being a little too hard on Tony. It's just football. He's having some fun. Him and Nance are like two buddies, drinking a couple of, not Bud Lights, but some cold beverages, watching a game of football. Nothing wrong
1: with that. Come on. Jeez. All right. I'm going to have to, and you can help me fill in the blanks here because, again, when you're dealing with HBO and these shows, we can't play clips yeah. from this show, <laughs> but I want to talk about BS High. It's 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 a documentary about Bishop Sycamore High School that played on a nationally televised ESPN game and got boat raced 58 to zero. They had to... A running clock, the second half of the game. How did this get on TV? It's about the corruption and his coach, Roy Johnson, and because these kids weren't going to school, it was all a psyop or a false flag. It was—he pulled off one of the biggest scams ever. HBO comes back, and I believe this happened in 2021. I believe yeah. HBO has put on a documentary about it. I want to play you the clip of—I think this is a news story that kind of summarizes a little bit of it. This isn't from the actual documentary, but I think this is a news story about, let's watch this.
0: Bishop Sycamore told us they had a number of division one prospects on their roster. Uh, To be frank, a lot of that we could not verify. And they did not show up in our database. They did not show up in the databases of other recruiting services. So it's okay, if that's what you're telling us, fine. That's how we take it in. From what we've seen so far, this is not a fair fight, and and there's got to be a point now, Luke, where you do worry about health and safety. I already am worried about it. I I think it's um, this this could potentially be dangerous. Prospects at some point need to start getting a lot of turns.
1: So I'm not sure how much of the audience remembers it. I think, do we have another clip? Scroll up. I think we got another clip here, perhaps. Oh, we're gonna play the trailer. Somebody, give me a thought. Let, let's. Oh, I just said we're not gonna play the trailer. Let's let's watch the BS High trailer from HBO.
3: IMG to kick off to Bishop Sycamore.
0: Do you want my hands like this, like this, like that? <laughs> just be natural. You don't have to try. Coach Roy Johnson told us they had a number of Division One prospects.
3: Thanks in a pick six. Into the end zone. He'll waltz in. That will do it. Do I look like a con artist?
0: How this happens got a lot of people scratching their head. Bishop Sycamore is not even a real high school.
1: They did not have teachers. We really was pretty much on our own. We didn't have any trainers. People were sharing helmets. It was disgusting. I was literally sick to my stomach. I can't believe this happened again. My philosophy in business is do what the people who have the money do, even if you don't have the money. Roy will tell you he's a liar. He knew what to say, how to say it. He's like, oh, man, you got to let that go. I said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of his neck after I grab it. I think I'm the most honest liar that I know and you coach kids and you
3: know it's not a school. Roy would tell people, you're gonna be playing in Alabama. He was just selling me a dream. Ohio was embarrassed by this. They called the thing explicitly a scam and then said they couldn't do a damn thing about it. Bishop Sycamore does not happen if there wasn't an abundance of money in high school sports. Let's go!
1: Did I break a law? Is it illegal? Am I in jail?
0: We're on ESPN. Win, lose, or draw, we win.
1: This is not what we were supposed to create. How do I tell my mama that Coach wants me to do the same stuff that you tried to get me away from? You say you care about that. but did you really?
0: Can we take a break? That's some bullshit. One, two, three, all right.
1: This excellent, entertaining. Mind-blowing documentary. I, I, I will try to in this discussion remember all of the corruption that they unpack. S- some of this stuff, I, I I left there like this. Roy Johnson guy is an evil character, but I also left there feeling like they're not telling the truth about these players. Though that that was my mm-hmm. other thing. They they portrayed the players as innocent victims of this corrupt high school coach that that isn't even a high school. He, he it's, and, and like, he was the only bad guy or, and his top assistant were the only bad guys. I'm not so sure if the kids were any better because many of them knew they were 19, 20, 21 years old, had played high school football, and they're out there playing against high school kids. I, that, that's my only complaint is I thought they went way too uh, soft on the players and put it all on Roy Johnson. Roy
3: Johnson may be the great greatest cult leader since Jim Jones. Uh, I, I found him to be fascinating. I mean, what a sociopath. I love that one scene. At the end, where he looked at the camera and he said, I could just feel the energy changing. I'm headed to even greater things. And, and, I, and I came away, and I, I want to make clear this. I don't like what he did, but I, I came away almost admiring his hubris. I was like, wow. This guy's going to turn a batch of lemons into a lot of lemonade in his own mind. Now, with that said, about the players, Jason, I don't disagree. In fact, our guy, Coach JB, Uh, For anyone that really wants to delve into this, he has a a perspective that is very close to yours. He did a daily rant on Friday after watching it, and he he agrees with you. The players themselves do not come off as victims in his view. And also, there's a larger point here that he pointed out, and it's something that you have said. When you have single mothers bringing up a generation of kids, and they get desperate, and they look at football or any other sport as their way out, or a form of daycare and you don't have fathers involved in their lives, this is another problem that exists. They pro- A lot of these kids probably never cared about school, were not disciplined enough in their own ways to make football a real option for them. And then at the end they're sold this dream and these mothers, and you saw one, everything was just about we got to get a scholarship. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute, what did you do in the previous 12 years to make sure that this young man had good enough grades that he can go to any school he wanted, whether he ever laced up a pair of cleats or not. And that's the thing that that bothers me about this. And this is what is not told enough, and you get heat for it, I'm gonna get heat for it. Stop just caring about your academics and your SAT halfway through your senior year. You gotta start caring about it from the very first day you go to kindergarten and start going to PTA meetings checking up on your homework, making sure you, you care about the report cards. It just can't be about in the 11th grade. Hey, how many letters are you getting from division one schools? But again, that is one of the symptoms of having single motherhoods or non-nuclear families across the board, Jason.
1: Steve here here's, and we, we're going to reach out to JB and see if we can get him on today. Cause I, I I'm interested in his take on this because here was the story that made me say, hey, man, they're not telling the complete story here. When mm-hmm. when they tell a story about Roy Johnson finding someone breaking into his car, a homeless man, and Roy Johnson takes off his belt and, and uh, starts spanking the homeless man. He says to the kids, you know what this guy's problem is? He wasn't spanked when he was a kid. So he t- Roy Johnson takes off his belt, tells a story about spanking the guy. And then one of the kids says in the documentary, yeah, and then some of us got our licks in too. And then they just moved on. And I was like, hold on. So, and, and this this homeless guy ended up having to be hospitalized and Roy Johnson's laughing about it and HBO's putting the story out there like, oh, this was just Roy Johnson. But but the other guy just indicated like, no, a bunch of these kids jumped in and started kicking and beating on this guy too. And that's when I was like, you say cult leader. I'm like, this is like a gang. And he's mm. a gang leader. And he's dealing with a bunch. And again, they're passing all these kids off like they're little angels. And they were so exploited by Coach Roy Johnson. I ju- Listen, any kid... These kids aren't that stupid. Like, yeah, I'm going to get my grades up and get qualified for college, but this guy is, there's no school for us to go to. We're living in uh, hotels. We're not eating half the time. They basically admitted they were looting grocery stores to eat. Uh, What did they say? I think they went to Walgreens or somewhere, and they'd steal a bunch. to. And so that was, I'm just telling you, my complaint is these kids were 19, 20, 21 years old, all pretending to be high school students while not going to high schools so they could fly around the country and play these football games. This was exploitation, And Roy Johnson, to me, belongs in jail. There should be criminal charges for, for what he did. They, they, at one point, tell the story like, the. Three days before they played IMG on ESPN, they played a different high school team. They played a a game just three days before. So in a span of three days, they played two games and player safety and all this other stuff, and and ESPN's acting like they're they're unaware and they're, they're victims of Roy Johnson's exploitation. They wouldn't talk to HBO, but this is again, I say the kids. 19, 20, 21 years. Even if the kids were 18, you're telling me they're not smart? We're playing a game on Thursday and turning right back around or playing it on Friday and turning right back around and playing on Sunday or Monday or whatever it was on ESPN. They're not smart enough to figure out that this ain't right? Miss me with all that. This was two groups of...
3: The reason no, yeah. it was really,
1: I didn't know this, but
3: IMG played them the year before. And, and IMG is one of those academies, I believe it's in Bradenton, Florida. I oh, didn't uh, know that. Yeah, so yeah. they, they kind of knew. And so IMG is one of those schools where a lot of kids travel and it's a sports academy. And, you know, they they, they have players from all across the country. And basically, every year they have at least a dozen Division One kids. There's a couple of kids from Miami from this past class that went to IMG. They had guys going to Georgia, Florida. Any name brand school, IMG has kids that are placed there or going to be going there very, very soon. So that was a severe mismatch. The other thing that was really alarming is for these kids to pay this tuition for the non-school, they were told to take out PFP loans. Okay. So there again, I think that's a federal crime because I'm seeing a lot of people – that got those type of loans on yachts and cars, instead of their businesses, and now they're behind the big house. The biggest surprise of this whole documentary, and I'm sure you enjoyed the presence of uh, Bomani Jones in there. I'm sure that really brightened your day there, Whitlock, as you're watching this. I was halfway expecting him to say that all of this was caused by white supremacy, but to my surprise, this is almost like Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. He actually said, "Well, only black people would do this to each other." Basically, I was like, "What? What?" I could not believe it. I was expecting the white supremacy card, but he did blame the system of football, and I was like, "Oh, come on, man!" But he kind of ruined it.
1: No, no, you know? no, 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 no. I I, I heard him differently, and I, and I I'm, I may be wrong. I only watched the documentary once. What I heard him say is, "You could only do this to black kids." Yeah. Okay. And that's mm. what he said, and that that again was. He's ignoring the obvious, like, these kids were in on it. (laughs) And and HBO's putting out a documentary acting like, oh, it's just that. And that's why Roy Johnson at the end, and again, you guys should go watch this documentary. We're, We're not blowing it for you. But at the end, the one kid that cried on camera and they were so upset about he and the other coach, and talking about all the things we did, and I can't remember the kid's name, but all the things we did for him, blah, 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 and he's pulling this BS. What, what Roy Johnson just kind of bit his tongue, or HBO did not air what he really said, because what I believe Roy wanted to say is like, man, this dude was in on it with us. He knew he shouldn't be playing, and we got him out of this trouble and that trouble yeah. and Pahokee. this trouble and that trouble. But, yeah, and, and and so I'm t- I enjoyed the documentary, but it did paint. I don't think it painted a complete picture. They just what Roy's the bad guy, and here's all these innocent victims. And then they end the documentary showing all this this guy's waiting on his next football opportunity. and th- and then the the quarterback, he would have gone to Grambling if it wasn't for Roy. And, and Bishop Sycamore. I'm not buying any of that. I, I, I'm just not. They wanted to pay. Here's a bunch of black kids that are victims of this, you know, sociopath Roy Johnson. I'm sorry, Roy Johnson's a 40-something-year-old sociopath that got in bed with a bunch of 18, 19, and 20-year-old soon-to-be sociopaths, and I'm, that, that sounds horrible and cruel to say about some young guys, but you will never convince me these kids did not know what was going on, that, that the mother that they featured throughout, the, the white lady that's got the African-American son, you're, you'll never convince me that she didn't know or have strong suspicions about what was really going on not a complete story, but a fascinating documentary that people should watch.
3: Yeah, and Jason, I love the fact that the team mom was also the team trainer. Probably had no medical training, but hey, you're the trainer. Why? Because you're there. OK. But, but can you at least admit that the last thing that they did with that guy was had that uh, song? He made a rap song. Can you at least admit that was yeah. a catchy tune? That's pretty catchy tune.
1: It's a catchy tune. But Steve, uh, you just took me to another. I mean, there's so many little points in here that are fascinating. And, and this again, why I'm calling BS on the mom, because they're at that IMG game and kids are getting hurt right and left. Some kid tore his ACL and she's out there standing over him. She doesn't They don't even have a team trainer. She's pretending to be the trainer. And I'm just supposed to believe that this 40 something year old mother has no idea that this yeah. is all inappropriate. She's in on it, too. I'm, I'm with just you. telling you. I,
3: I know. I Look, most team moms, they just pass out orange slices at halftime and Capri Suns after the game. I'm with you. but And, again, there didn't I got to be, be careful.
1: Be- she had a different role. It wasn't passing out, you know. Uh, but it, I think boy, she had a different role.
3: <laughs> Let's stay in
1: bounds here, Whitlock. Jeez. But I just
3: – and, again, where were any of the fathers? Where were any of the fathers – that's a
1: rhetorical The question, one right? kid said he talked to his dad. Yeah, uh, the BS. You know, yeah. And, and, yeah, and anyway. But thank you for turning me on to BS High. Well, I do. Uh, you. You're uh, it, welcome. You're it, welcome. It, it, it's, it was well worth the watch, and I suggest it to all the audience. Uh, I do want to remind you, and Steve, we're going to let you go. Uh, as we go out here, I want to say again uh, go uh, register. Sign up for it, come join us in Nashville on Thursday, September 7th, just 10 days away. The NFL season's kicking off. Uh, Can we put up the graphic? We got a great uh, football event with Warren Sapp and Brett Favre and Seth Joyner and Sage Steele. They're all coming to town for the Fun Slinger. Gunslinger, you get it? Brett Favre, Gunslinger. We're having the Fun Slinger uh, kickoff Party here, live in Nashville at the studio. You can come join us, watch some football, uh, do, do, watch our, us record our live cookout show as we talk football with Warren Sapp, Brett Favre, Sage Steele, Seth Joyner, myself. Steve Kim's gonna be here. Uh, TJ Moe will be here. Best thing going in Nashville. You can come join us for the uh, Fun Slinger uh, kickoff. All right, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Looking for the right sign, looking like it's my time, feeling all kinds of free. These words are our religion, our no regrets, and our decisions. We all want to go to heaven with freedom. It's my obligation, no hate, discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. Raise up your hands for freedom. I just want I wanna be, I just wanna I wanna be, I just wanna I wanna
3: be, I just wanna